Now, if you were here last week, I want you just to cast your minds back to walking out of this building, going into your weeks. At what point in your week did you lose that sense of harmony? I can tell you, for me, it was as I got into my car in the car park. Got into the car, kids start fighting over some minor little toy. Who's going to have it? I start getting cross. We start discussing what we're going to do. Are we going somewhere? Are we going home? And it all goes haywire. There is no harmony, and there's been very little harmony in our house this week. And that, for me, presented a challenge. Because here I am having to speak about Sabbath rest at the end of a half term, which has been pretty tricky. But it has made me think, how do we walk in that relationship with God that brings us rest when we are living in a world full of strife? How do we press further into that promise of rest? Well, today I've got the privilege of talking from the book of Leviticus. Yes. (laughs) But before we get there, let's look a bit at the big picture, because Last week, we looked at creation, and we know that that's the beginning of the story, the beginning of the story that started in that place in the garden of walking with God in harmony. And we know we're going to the end, and the end of the story is also a place of harmony between God and men and the earth, and that new heavens and new earth that is promised to us um, at the end of the Bible. But in between this, we have this unfolding story. It's an unfolding story moving from the fall, which sent us back into the place of strife, through the Old Testament and into Jesus, and then looking on to the future. And actually, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament today, and many of us might think, what's the point in that? We know that Jesus has come. We know the answer is Jesus. We know he brings us rest. We know he points to the future. What's the point in looking at the old? Well, There's a reason for the Old Testament in the Bible. The Old Testament all points to what Jesus was going to be and what he was going to do. And sometimes for me, I'm so familiar with Jesus. I grew up knowing the stories of Jesus and knowing him. That it takes me looking back at the stories of the Old Testament to understand more fully and more properly who Jesus is and what he brings. Because the Old Testament forecasts what God was going to do through Jesus who he will be and what he would do. And when we read it and when we study it and when we look at it, we get a fuller understanding of who he was and what he brings to us. So Leviticus. Um, how many of you have tried doing the Bible in, the, in a year and given up at the point of Leviticus? In fact, if you're trying to do it this year, you're probably about to enter that territory. And it's tough going, isn't it? You know, I've read through the Bible a few times. Sometimes I do it chronologically, and then it's a real wade through because all you're getting is law after law, ritual after ritual. But a couple of years ago, I got to write an essay on Leviticus, and I actually discovered that the message of Leviticus is an amazing message. Once you get behind all the cultural stuff and all the, the things that we don't really understand, the message of Leviticus is really key to understanding who God is and what he's about. It's the central book of the Torah, the first five books of the law in the Old Testament. And that makes it the most important one. And it's in the book of Leviticus that we move from God being out there somewhere to God 
dwelling in the midst of his people. If we look at the end of the book of Exodus that comes before Leviticus, there's been a lot of instructions about building this tabernacle, this tent for God that was to be in the middle of the camp. But the trouble is at the book of the end of Exodus, we have the tabernacle built, we have God's presence dwelling in it, and the people couldn't approach it. You know, if they went near it, they would die. There is too much holiness in that place. And the end of Exodus and the beginning of Leviticus start with God speaking to Moses. God's in the tent, Moses is outside. By the beginning of the next book of the Bible, the book of Numbers, Moses is in that tent with God, in the very presence of God. So during the book of Leviticus, we see God making a way to once more dwell with man. It's about holiness. It's about atonement. It's about sacred place and sacred time. And it's that bit that we're considering today. So let's read a bit of Leviticus. This is Leviticus chapter 23. God said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must, not, you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And chapter 23 goes on to describe these seven festivals, which um, the Hebrew word for is moedim, divine appointments that the people of Israel were to keep with God. So you've got the Passover and the unleavened bread, which celebrated redemption from death. You've got the festivals of first fruits, and then seven weeks later, the festival of weeks, which is also known as Pentecost, and these celebrated God's provision of produce from the land. Then you have the festival of trumpets, which announced the seventh month. And in the seventh month, you have the day of atonement, where they celebrated God renewing his holiness and presence amongst them. And then finally, you have the festival of the tabernacles, which was a celebration of God providing in the wilderness. And the festival of tabernacles consists of a week, where they were to build little tents out of tree branches and live on them, live in them. And it was to be seven days of rejoicing. If we move on to chapter 25, it goes on. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, And for six years, prune your vineyards and gather your crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, 
the Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your untended vines. Oh, sorry. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. Then count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sound everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land and consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee to you, each of you. Each of you is to return to your family property and your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. So what do we notice in these passages? Well, there's an awful lot of sevens, isn't there? An awful lot of sevens and an awful lot of stopping. So every seventh day, they were to stop and have a Sabbath rest. Then they had these seven festivals a year, each consisting of either one or seventh day, seven days where they were to stop. Then every seventh year, they were to stop for a whole year. And then every seven times seven years, they were to stop for an extra whole year. The Jubilee, the ultimate Sabbath. There's an awful lot of stopping in um, this passage. Uh, For a people that depended on the land, that depended on cultivating it, which if anyone watches farming programs or indeed does any farming, you know is a day-to-day, is day-to-day work. But the people of Israel were told to live differently. They were told to stop. Now, my children don't like the word stop. And I don't think we do either. If we say stop in our house, one of two things happens. Either the behavior that you've asked them to stop escalates and becomes worse. So stop shouting, then becomes screaming. Stop screaming, then becomes hitting. Stop hitting, then becomes kicking. And there's a big fallout. The other thing that happens very strangely, and I don't understand this, you ask one child to stop doing something, and immediately the other one goes, oh, I'm going to do that, and does it instead. I don't think we like stopping as a people either. I mean, Dave talked very um, well last week about what we've done to the stopping that we think of as Sabbath. And actually, what a horrid thing we have made of it that we've taken all the joy out of it. We've made it into rules. And actually, I think part of the reason my children don't like the word stop is that they think I'm trying to take control back from them. They think that I'm going to be a spoil sport, that whatever they're doing, whether it's hitting and kicking each other or running around like a maniac, mum is spoiling the fun. But actually, there's more to the word stop in Leviticus than God spoiling the people's fun. Okay, I quite like to redeem the word stop today in in regard to the Sabbath. Because, yes, it's not about stopping. It's about why they were told to stop. So we're going to look at the three stop to do something in Leviticus. And actually, if we can get out of our minds that it's about stopping, it's about why they're stopping, then we might actually find something helpful.
So the first stop to is stop to reorientate. Stop to go back to that place of walking with God. Stop to go back to dependence on God. The practices of stopping in Leviticus reminded the people of Israel that they didn't have to do it on their own. They didn't have to strive to survive in the land that God was taking them on their own. They did it in a partnership with God, with a God that dwelt with them. When I'm asking my children to stop, I'm not trying to spoil their fun. I'm trying to reorientate them back to what is healthy and actually healthy for the whole family and not just for them. Walter Brueggemann describes the occasions of disciplined holiness um, as something which served to generate and sustain community among the Israelites. Celebration brought the community back into the presence of God in the tabernacle to be renewed and sustained in living holy lives. So when the chaos invades, when that feeling of harmony diminishes as I get in the car, am I able to stop, maybe just momentarily, and reorientate myself back to walking with God? I don't have to parent these children on my own. I do it in partnership. I don't have to achieve at work on my own. I do it in partnership. I don't have to change the world on my own. I do it in a partnership with God. I love that verse in Psalm 121 that says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? That's what we stop to do. We stop to reorientate time after time and take ourselves back to God. The second reason why the Israelites were told to stop was to stop to remember and celebrate. At the beginning of each year, I put together a photo book for each of my children. And I trawl through the photos of the year and pick out some really nice ones and put them in a book for them. And I was doing it this year and I was like, wow, we've had some great moments of joy this year. We've had some fun times. We've had some brilliant times as a family. But when I, at the end of last year, thought, what's 2022 been like? It had been hell. It had been really hard. And it felt like... Through looking at the photos, looking back, I was reminded that there was reasons to celebrate. And for Israel, each of the festivals celebrated God's provision and God's rescue. And they stopped to reenact these things and to bring um, yeah, something of the Garden of Eden back into their reality. Remembering our past stories points us towards our future. When we act out of what God has done for us, we bring the future into our reality. The Bible's full of people doing this. We think about some of the things that God, uh, Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, how we were to act. That was acting the future in the now and bringing the future into the now. So when we remember our stories, remember the big story of what we're part of and celebrate it regularly, we get into kingdom living and out of living in strife. Thirdly, the stopping was all about the other and the earth. They stopped to release others. 
The Sabbath was not just for the Israelites. Every time Sabbath is mentioned and stopping is mentioned, it's not just for you. It's for your your servants. It's for the immigrants who live in your land, that they can rest, that they can have freedom. Um, And each of the festivals involved releasing the land and releasing the people around them into freedom. And then we have the, the ultimate Sabbath, the Jubilee, where there's a total reset, where everything goes back to the way God intended it, where land is returned, where slaves are set free, and where release happens. It's interesting if you look at the words used in Leviticus and compare them to the words used in the Gospels, where Leviticus talks of release, the Gospels speak of forgiveness, and it's the same word. When we release people in forgiveness... When we release people through working for liberation, it doesn't feel like a rest, does it? It can feel really hard, but it's in those places that our relationship with God comes near and actually we find rest. There's a central verse in Leviticus, um, in Leviticus 19. Um, Anyone know what it is? In the midst of all the verses about holiness and ritual and doing things right, it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, It seems out of place, but, sorry, I'm just trying to read this, um, but it is actually central to that work of holiness and liberation. Um, There's a Jewish interpretation of this verse. It says, Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself. I am Adonai. In those last words, I am Adonai. You might think that I am far away from you. But as you love your neighbor, you will find me. Not in his love for you, but in your love for him. He who loves brings God and the world together. How do we dwell with God? How do we walk with God? We do it through loving the other. So three good reasons to stop. And for the Israelites, it was life or death. Leviticus 26 is a whole list of things that God will do if they keep these laws and things that God will do if they don't. Look at verse 11 and 12. If you obey these things, if you do live life the way I'm telling you, I will put my dwelling place among you. I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. It's back to Eden. It's so much more than having a tent in the middle of the camp. God is there in the middle of the camp, but he's also walking amongst them. It's back to that place of the garden. But if they disobeyed, it says, your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years and all the time it lies desolate. And you will be in the country of your enemies. I've never connected that before. That Israel being taken into exile gave the land the Sabbath rest that they had refused it by refusing to follow God's ways. It's another stark ending. It's another day eight. That actually for all God did to walk with his people. They chose not to have that. But it's not the end of the story, is it? After they came back from exile, 
for the Jewish people, Sabbath and the Jubilee in particular, that super Sabbath, became a symbol of future hope, of what God was going to do to liberate them, not from physical exile, but from the spiritual exile from the place of walking with God. And Jesus begins his, his ministry with the words from Isaiah that speak about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He was proclaiming Jubilee. He was proclaiming that super Sabbath place of rest of God once again walking with his people. And I could say a lot more about that, but that's for next week. But as I prepared this and as I thought about the the stopping and the rhythms of stopping in Leviticus, the phrase that came to my mind was a phrase from the message version of Matthew. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus came and Jesus said, I can see you're tired and you're burnt out from doing this religiously. You've not got it. It's not about just stopping and just following the rules. It's about the relationship that these things promise. And in the message it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How do we live in God's rest? We stop and reorientate ourselves back to walking with him. We stop and remember and celebrate our stories. And we stop to release freedom to others. We're not ancient Israelite farmers. We don't do it in the way that they did it. But we find our own rhythms of life. And in those rhythms, we incorporate God. And as we enact the rhythms of grace, we bring our future into our now.